you want to follow along with me, that's where I'm going to be uh, reading. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1. And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you, save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. So Paul says there at the end of verse 2, For I determined not to know anything among you, save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Uh, if you ask the world about Jesus, they might not understand a lot of things about Jesus Christ, but thanks to the symbol of the cross, and that's, that cross is a symbol of death. There's no way around it. That cross is a symbol of death. Now, as Christians, when we see the cross, we think of eternal life. We think of the gift that God's given us in Jesus Christ. But the world, when they see a cross, that is death. That's the same thing as us, uh, uh, somebody, if Jesus would have been uh, killed by a gun, I guess we'd all have guns around our, you know, our necklaces. Or a knife, we'd all have knives. But the point is, is that Jesus Christ was crucified, and the world knows he's crucified. But what the world doesn't understand, and that's what I'm going to show you this morning, what we're going to look at this morning in this sermon is, the world doesn't understand who killed Jesus Christ. The world doesn't quite understand who killed Jesus Christ. Now, we know the world, they love a good whodunit, and I do too. I love a good whodunit, I love a good mystery, and this is a mystery, and we're going to go through this mystery. There's five, believe it or not, I'm going to show you that the scriptures are going to show us there's five different people responsible for putting Jesus Christ on that cross. Amen. There's five of them, five different people that are responsible for putting Jesus Christ on on this cross. Now, Paul starts out there in verse 1 and he's saying that he didn't come to you. I came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom. So when you start preaching Jesus Christ, it doesn't have anything to do with how smart you are or how well you can speak. It has to do with just the Holy Spirit using your words and putting the words in your mouth and, 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 and getting the truth out. There's a spiritual thing behind all this. It's what Paul's mentioning. He goes on in verse 3 and says, And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. Paul didn't show up as a big guy. He wasn't very tall. He wasn't very menacing. Paul didn't show up and say, man, there's a very handsome guy. As a matter of fact, Paul was supposed to have very weepy eyes, and he'd wear a bonnet because the sun bothered his eyes. Paul was a very uh, a, a crook-backed man because of things that had happened to him as he's persecuted for the name of Jesus Christ. Paul wasn't a very good-looking guy. I remember, brother, uh, of all things, Brother Packer said that when he first saw Billy Graham come through in Korean War, that, they, they, that Billy Graham was coming through, and they said, Billy Graham's coming through. Let's go see Billy Graham. So him and a bunch of his buddies went down there, and he said, I remember, never forget, Billy Graham pulls up on this Jeep, and he's wearing this suit. He looks like he's been sleeping in this suit for two weeks. His hair's all, just, his hair's all out of place. And he said to himself, he said, this is Billy Graham? This guy right here is Billy Graham? And he said, but Keegan, when that man opened his mouth, it was the voice of God. Amen. It was the voice of God. And that's what Paul was talking about. That's exactly what Paul's talking about. My speech, verse 4, and my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom. Brothers and sisters, if you're trying to lead somebody to Jesus Christ, you're not going to outsmart them. You're not going to entice them. You're going to have to have the Holy Spirit work on them. Amen. And it means there's going to be some prayer involved. And, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. See that? The, the, where's the power at? Well, it's through the Holy Spirit, and where's the power at? It's in the words of God. 
The power power is at is quoting the words of God, quoting Scripture. That's where the power is at. And, of course, the Holy Spirit's there, too. Uh, Verse 5, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Our faith's not in how smart we figured this out or how we've got this all figured out and how this preacher's figured. It's not about that. Our faith's in in the power of God that he did on the cross when Jesus Christ was crucified. And we're working towards that. Howbeit we speak wisdom among them that are perfect, yet not the wisdom of this world, nor the princes of this world that come to naught. And he's going on and on about, you can go and get all the college degrees you want, is what Paul's, I'm paraphrasing what Paul's saying. You can go and get all the college degrees that you want. It's not going to help you one iota when it comes to God. Amen. It's going to be a spiritual thing. Verse 7, but we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery. That's that mystery I was just talking about. Even the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world unto our glory. Verse 8, which none of the princes of this world knew. For had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. The very first person and very first group of people that are responsible for the crucifixion of Jesus Christ are the Romans. The Romans. The empire. The Roman empire. So the first people responsible for crucifying Jesus Christ judiciously. Judiciously. In other words, in a justice system, who's responsible for that? The Romans were. Turn to Matthew chapter 27, and I'll show you some things about it. Look at Matthew chapter 27. Guys, the the trial of Jesus Christ was a complete and total sham. He was railroaded. Matthew chapter 27. Turn with me to Matthew 27 verse 19. Jesus Christ judiciously was done wrong. It was an injustice the way they did Jesus Christ. And judiciously, the one that was in charge of that justice system was the Romans. So therefore, who's responsible for Jesus Christ being crucified? Well, one of them are the Romans, the Roman Empire. And specifically, Pilate. Pilate. Verse 19, Matthew 27, verse 19. And talking about Pilate here, when he, Pilate, the Roman governor, was set down on the judgment seat, his wife, Pilate's wife, sent unto him, saying, have, no, have thou nothing to do with that just man? For I have suffered many things this day in a dream because of him. So Pilate sits down and they send a message. His wife says, man, just don't have nothing to do with this Jesus Christ. I've had many things. For one thing, what does she call him? She calls him a just man. He's righteous. He's just. He's innocent. In other words, he doesn't deserve to be on trial. And she's saying, I've had a lot of troubling dreams about him. Just don't have anything to do with him. Sometimes, guys, we need to take advice of our wives. You notice how I said not every time? I said sometimes. I didn't even get an amen out of that. Y'all, y'all afraid of your wives, or what's the deal here? <laughs> amen. <laughs> Verse 12. Some of y'all are afraid of your wives, and they're not even here. <laughs> Verse 20. But the chief priests and elders persuaded the multitude that they should ask Barabbas and destroy Jesus. The governor answered and said unto them, Whether of the twain will ye that I release unto you? They said, Barabbas. Barabbas. Pilate saith unto him, What shall I do then with Jesus which is called Christ? They all say unto him, Let him be crucified. So Pilate was trying to, they had, a, they had one arrested that was, uh, they had been in trouble, Barabbas, and they said, Okay, I'll release unto you uh, 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 Jesus. 
and, and we'll crucify Barabbas. And they're like, no, give us Barabbas and crucify Jesus Christ. So Pilate was trying to find a way out of this. Verse 23, and the governor said, why? What evil, evil hath he done? What evil has Jesus done? But they cried out the more, saying, let him be crucified. Verse 24, when Pilate saw that he could prevail nothing, but that rather a tumult was made, he took water and washed his hands before that multitude, saying, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. See ye to it. Who's responsible? The Romans. Because Pilate as a judge, Pilate as a judge, if he was judging righteously, what should he have done there? He should have released Jesus Christ. He was innocent. He just admitted it. And he thinks, he thinks he's going to do some kind of pious thing in front of everybody and wash his hands and say, I'm innocent of this. No, this, you just admitted his blood is innocent and you're going to let him be killed. That's no righteous judge at all. He's responsible for the death of Jesus Christ. And there's no way around it. I remember uh, when Jesus, when, uh, and I'm going to mention Brother Packer again. And he's been on my heart a lot lately, but this stuff comes to mind. Brother Packer, he just passed away last year. I, guess, getting, I mean, just last, uh, the end of last year. Brother Packer, he, when he got saved, he said he got saved when he was called to Korea. He got on the train at Brownwood Depot and he was shipped off to Korea. And they gave each one of them a Bible. And he said, when I was, he said, Keegan, when I was on that train, I was reading that Bible, and I was reading about, and I'd been in church, he said, but I never really read the story of Jesus Christ, and I was reading through that, and I read what they did to Jesus Christ, and he said, he said I started crying. And he goes, I got emotional. And he said, how could they do that to this man? He did nothing wrong. He did nothing wrong. And that led Brother Packer to receiving Jesus Christ because for the first time he started seeing that they did him, they did, this guy, this Jesus Christ is different. And they still crucified him. Amen. Who's responsible for the death of Jesus Christ? Well, obviously from these verses right here, verses 20 through 23, look at verse 20. But the chief priests and elders persuaded the multitude that they should ask Barabbas and destroy Jesus. The Jew. Nationally, Judicially, it would be the Romans. Nationally, nationally, that would be the Jews. The Jews are responsible for putting Jesus Christ on that cross. The Roman justice system was the weapon that they used, but they're the ones that pulled the trigger. Amen. They're the ones that pulled the trigger. The Romans had the way to do it. They, didn't, they claimed they couldn't do it. Their, their claim for the Romans to do it was, they said, well, we can't, we're not allowed to. But you know they're hypocrites because what happened whenever they, earlier in the Gospels, they tried to kill Jesus Christ and he got away from them. Amen. Later on, they did kill Stephen. They got mad at Stephen, ripped their clothes and stoned him to death. Right there. They're lying. But God had a plan. Amen. And God was working. And God was going to make sure the Romans were responsible for this. Which is the Gentiles. Amen. And he's going to make sure the Jews are responsible for Jesus Christ going to the cross. And they're very responsible. Verse 22, Pilate saith unto them, What shall I do then with Jesus, which is called Christ? They all say unto him, Let him be crucified. They wanted him crucified. It was the Jews. Look at verse 25. Then answered all the people, the Jews, and said, His blood, the blood of Jesus Christ, be on us and on our children. Wow. What a curse that is. The blood of an innocent man. They said, let that blood, if he's innocent, let that blood be on us and on our children. Because the verse before, 
Pilate says, I'm innocent of the blood of this just person. And they said, don't worry about that. We'll take that. We'll take it, and our children will take it. For 2,000 years, they took it. You can't show me another race, creed, or nationality that's been persecuted more than a Jew. Amen. Period. And I don't care what you see on TV or what show you're watching or who's crying and whining in the neighborhood or outside the neighborhoods. You cannot show me a race, a nationality, or a people that's been more persecuted than the Jew. Amen. And God's hands in that. Because the blood of Jesus Christ is on them and on their children. Yes. No doubt about it. And I, I love Israel. I'm not talking bad about the Jew. I'm talking about facts. Yes. I'm talking about facts. Two nations are mentioned here, verses 24 and 25. The Roman nation and the Jewish nation. You always hear the Roman nation as what? The Roman Empire. Like it was some great, vast Roman Empire. It was, wasn't it? It didn't last much longer than this. No. No, it's been gone for about 1,500 years, according to historians. Guess, guess what's going on with the Jewish nation? It's still around. It came back. There it is, right there in the Middle East. And they're still dealing with it to this day. Prove the Bible, preacher, Amen. the Jew, the nation of Israel. That proves the Bible. Because God, even though they've been the most persecuted people you could ever imagine, and they had it coming because they had the blood of Jesus Christ on them and their children, God said, like Jacob, just like, just like that bush is, is, a that is a consuming fire, and that bush did not consume, Jacob will not be consumed. Israel will never be consumed. God's always going to have his people. And he brought them back in 1948. That's what happened. People and religious people and religions tend to blame the Jews for everything. You can very easily find just about any kind of book on uh, conspiracy theories, and that book's going to blame the Jew. If you go on the Internet, don't even Google that. If you Google something on the Internet about the Jew and conspiracy, they're behind every single problem the world's ever had. It's going to be the Jew. They, they get blamed for everything. And some religions blame the Jew for killing Jesus Christ. And they hate the Jew. They'll, they'll say, I hate the Jew because they're the ones that killed Jesus Christ. Well, number one, I just showed you the Romans did too. First off, the Jew killed Jesus Christ, so we hate the Jew. Jesus Christ is a Jew, dummy. Amen. <laughs> You're hating a Jew because they killed somebody you like who's a Jew. That, don't make, that makes no sense. That's got to be the devil behind something like that. And secondly, no one, hates the, uh, no one hates the Romans for killing Jesus Christ. And they're the ones that actually killed Jesus Christ. And they'll say, the Jews, they're behind all the banking system. That's where all the money's at. And they killed Jesus Christ. No one, nobody has made more money than the Gentiles off the death of Jesus Christ. Amen. The Jews don't make money off the death of Jesus Christ. Nobody, and I mean nobody, has made more money than the Gentile off the death of Jesus Christ. They've turned him into a money-making machine. Yeah. The Bible warns you, don't let, don't let them make merchandise of you. And that's exactly what they've done to modern-day Christianity. I was watching, I had the TV on, and I was over at Brother Raul's, and he was watching something on his house, and I don't know if you know this, brother, but I left your house, I went over, I turned on my TV, and I finished watching what you were watching over at your house, and then after that show, they had a person come on, and on there, and it said, if you will only send us $90, we'll send you this DVD, yeah. and I thought, $90 for that DVD, a DVD's not even worth $2, 
A thousand? The point is, is that they're making, they're making money. Big time money. Why are you blaming the Jew? They're just smart with money. That's why you hate them. You hate them because they're good with money. And they're blessed by God. That's the, that's the only reason. Us Gentiles, we've made a whole lot more money off the death of Jesus Christ than they ever did. We were down there. I'm talking about we, the Gentile, was down there with Jesus Christ's cloak, and we were gambling to get it. And a lot of y'all leave here, and y'all be gambling all week long. Gambling to get the cloak of Jesus Christ. I know guys at work, that, 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 there's guys at work that have problems with drinking. They for sure have problems with fornication. And the third problem I see rampant at my workplace is gambling. They're, they're gambling. They're, there's guys that uh, you get into their trucks and they've got stacks this big of lottery tickets like that. And then complain to me they don't have any money. I wonder why you don't have any money. You're giving it all to the, to the state of Texas in lottery tickets. $20 lottery tickets. And guess what happens? Somebody in Brownwood hits one $2 million. Was it $2 million, Joker? How much did that person win in, in Brownwood off a lottery ticket? Wasn't it $2 million? 4.6? I mean, they won millions of dollars, so what does that do? Oh, man, now everybody's down there buying lottery tickets. Everybody and their grannies down there buying lottery tickets. You know, probably dogs are in line trying to buy a lottery ticket to have a better life, you know. The best life you can have is in Jesus Christ. I'll just go ahead and give you some good advice there. Look at, um, look at Matthew 26, verse 53. Turn back one chapter to Matthew chapter 26, verse 53. Who's responsible for the death of Jesus Christ? Well, honestly... Yeah, honestly, Jesus Christ is. Jesus is responsible. Judiciously, the Romans. Nationally, the Jew. But physically, it would be Jesus himself. Look at verse 53. Matthew chapter 26, verse 53. Thinkest thou that I cannot now pray unto my Father, and he shall presently give me more than twelve legions of angels? But how then shall the scriptures be fulfilled? That thus it must be. He told Peter, put your sword up. This is what it's supposed to be. This is what it's prophesied to be. Don't you know I could have 12 legions of angels right now? Jesus Christ could have had a whole army fighting for him. But he said, y'all hold it off. Don't you know when they were beating Jesus Christ to an inch of his life and mocking him, don't you, th don't you know the angels of God were on the balconies of heaven just waiting to come down and kill some people? Looking at God the Father, let us go. Let us go as they're beating Jesus and spitting on Jesus and mocking Jesus and bringing his blood out everywhere. Don't you know the angels were just ready to get down there and kill a thousand of them? Looking at the Father, waiting for the Father to nod his head and give the word, and the Father didn't nod his head. Jesus Christ said, I can presently have more than 12 legions of angels. Jesus Christ killed himself. Look at John chapter 10. Let's go a little deeper. John chapter 10. Turn to the Gospel of John chapter. Jesus starts explaining what he's doing. John chapter 10. The world don't get it. John chapter 10, the world might know. The world might understand that the Romans crucified him in history. And that they just, by justice they brought it on him and killed him. And the world might understand that they hate the Jew because they killed Jesus Christ. But the world, this is where we're getting into spiritual things the world doesn't get. 
Now we've let, guys, if you're listening to me this morning, we're leaving the world behind. We're going into things that involve spirituality, which is 99% of what Jesus Christ talked about. The world don't get it. They don't get the words of Jesus Christ. And here in verse, uh, chapter 10, verse 17, Jesus Christ explained it to his disciples. Therefore doth my Father love me because, look, verse 17, because I lay down my life, then I might take it again. He laid it down. They didn't take it from him. He gave it. And then he took it back. Look at, ver- look at the very next verse. No man take it from me. No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. You got this idea that Romans, yeah, judiciously they killed him. They're responsible for putting him in. They have a a part of that. The Jews had a part of that. But Jesus Christ said, I'm the one that done it. I'm giving it. And don't you know I could have 12 legions of angels? See, he could have fought his way out. Pilate had no power over him. That's why Pilate was scared of him. And in John, the Gospel of John, it goes into details of this conversation between him and Pilate, and he's talking to Pilate, and Pilate said, don't you have anything to say for yourself? And Jesus wouldn't answer him. And Jesus Christ said, my kingdom's not of this world right now. If my kingdom was of this world, they would fight. Amen. And, and he talks about truth, and Pilate turns to him and said, what is truth? What is truth, Pilate says, and he walks out and never comes back. Turns his back on truth. What is truth, Pilate? Well, he's looking you right in the eyes. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus Christ gave his life up. No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down on myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This commandment have I received of my Father. That's all... The power of life and death is in Jesus Christ. Amen. You want life? You've got to go to Jesus Christ. The Romans might have drove the nails, but Jesus Christ allowed it. Why did Jesus Christ decide to lay his life down? Because Jesus Christ had some friends. I'm a friend of Jesus. And he said... Uh, in John 15, he said some beautiful words. Uh, it's quoted all the time. Greater love, John 15, 13, greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Amen. Man. Are you a friend of Jesus? Amen. Can you say I'm a friend of Jesus? I, I'm not, I, I'll, I'll be honest. Jesus calls me a friend, but I'm not much of a friend to him. And I know the Bible teaches, and I know this to be true living in this world. To have a friend, you've got to be a friend. But Jesus Christ is a little different than a lot of my other friends. You know, I can mistreat my other friends and talk bad about them and mistreat, mis- uh, uh, not do what I, they want me to do and uh, uh, talk behind their back and everything. And you know what they do to me? They, they, they get rid of me, and they should. I've lost some friends that way, and uh, I've done that to Jesus. In my life, I've done that to Jesus. And he had never gotten rid of me. He's never gotten rid of me. He's, it's how much grace he has. He just says, you're my friend. And I'm going to lay my life down for you. Amen. He laid his life down because he came to save some friends. The greatest verse for me is the verse that says, Jesus Christ was a friend to sinners. 
I'm a sinner. I'm thankful that he's a friend to me. Look at Isaiah 53. So thirdly, physically, Jesus Christ killed himself. But look at Isaiah 53. Let's turn to Isaiah 53. There's two more responsible parties. Isaiah 53, two more responsible parties. Judiciously, the Romans were responsible. Nationally, the culprit was the Jew. Physically, physically, Jesus Christ physically gave himself up. He could have physically fought, but he gave himself up. But look at Isaiah chapter 53, verse 10. Isaiah chapter 53, verse 10. Talk, and this whole chapter is talking about the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus Christ and what it meant to us. But look at verse 10. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. Theologically, when you doctrinally study your Bible out, God killed Jesus Christ. God put Jesus Christ on the cross. The world don't understand that. They think Jesus Christ was a good man. He walked on this earth. Some people might even call him a prophet. And that because he was a, because he was a good man and because he was a prophet, he died. No, that's not what happened. He, he died because he wanted to die. And he died because he wanted to die because that's what he had to do because God said, it pleases me for you to die. Wow. It pleased God to allow the Romans and the Jews to spit, punch, kick, put a crown of thorns on his head, nail him to a cross, whip him, and for him to die. An agonizing death. Your Bible says, yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. It's hard for us to understand. Why? Why would that please God? That question's asked me a lot about God. Just this last week, I had a man ask me about God. Why? Why did God take my daughter? Why did God let my daughter die? And I, I talk to him and relate to him, and I can't always answer for God, but I know when you study out God and how he works, because God does have laws. And I've said this lately a lot, and if there's laws, there has to be a lawmaker. There's laws of the universe. There has to be a lawmaker. God has laws. And, he has, and just like the Romans had judicial laws that they did not follow in Pilate and went ahead and crucified him when he was innocent, they did have laws that protected Jesus Christ. They decided not to follow him. Amen. That happens in America all the time where the law is misused and not followed. God is not that way. God, he makes a law. That law is put in. It must be. Be followed. God is holy. He's righteous. He's a just God. And for God to be able to accomplish what he wants to accomplish in his judicial system, Jesus Christ must die. Theologically, God said, you got to go and you got to die. Because in God's system, somebody must take that place. Somebody must take Mine and your place. And for God to be accomplished, what He wants to accomplish with His judicial system to allow us to go free, somebody has to die. And it pleased, now listen guys, these words are important. It pleased God to send His only begotten Son that we may have eternal life. 
He didn't send the lowest, worst angel he had in heaven. He didn't send the worst devil down in hell. He could have. He could have said, I want to send this guy here. He's not a very good one. Send him down here. Let him die. For... It don't work that way. If you're going to have the worst, wickedest sinner in the world, you've got to have the most righteous, holiness man in the world. Amen. That's Jesus Christ. Because judiciously, you've got to swap them. You've got to have the most righteous and holy man say, I'll take his place. And God says, if you'll take his place, I'll let him come over here and go free. See, truly, really, the only one that understood the crucifixion of Jesus Christ at the time of Christ, the only one that really understood, and I'm talking about all his disciples, everybody underneath the cross, the only one that really understood what was going on when Christ was crucified was a man named Barabbas. Because he stood there condemned, about to be crucified, and they said, this man Jesus just took your place. I can go. You're free to go. You're a free man. But I'm a murderer. You're free. This man, Jesus, he's going to be crucified. You're no longer crucified. And Barabbas looks up and runs off. A free man. Judiciously, Jesus Christ is that for us in God's eyes. And it pleased God for him to be able to do what he wants to do for me and you, for the love he has for me and you. He's got to send his only begotten son. Amen. His only begotten son is the only one that was Half man and half God. Son of God, the son of man. Born of a virgin. An angel is not a man. An angel can't understand. An angel can't be tempted like us. An angel don't understand. He's got to be the son of man. Born of a virgin. But he's got to be the son of God. God manifests in the flesh. It pleased the Lord to bruise him. I'm thankful to the Lord. For us to be justified, for us to be redeemed, for us to be set free, God must kill His only begotten Son. It's unbelievable. Lastly, the fifth person responsible, because we've seen that judiciously the Romans, nationally the Jews, physically Jesus Christ Himself, physically, He could have got away, but He didn't. And theologically, we've seen that God's responsible. So we have the Romans, the Jew. Jesus, God, that fifth person, the most important person. Why is it the most important person? Because that's you. You're responsible. The world's responsible. When I say world, I mean every man and woman, boy and girl above the age of accountability, they are responsible for putting him on that cross. Look at verse 12. Isaiah 53, verse 12. Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great, talking about Jesus Christ, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he hath poured out his soul unto death. And look, and he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bared the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. Amen. He bared our sin, and he bared your transgressions. That's why he had to die. He died because your sins killed Jesus Christ. Oh, yeah, the Romans nailed him. But notice that Jesus Christ said, I let them nail me. Yeah, the Jews cried out, crucify him. But Jesus Christ says, I'm letting you crucify me. Jesus Christ says, I did it. Because I laid my life down for some friends. Why did he lay his life down for some friends? 
because he's got some pretty sorry friends. <laughs> some of y'all got some pretty sorry friends out there, don't you? Just pray to God to give you some grace to deal with them because everybody needs a friend. Amen. A friend is a friend that sticks through you for, through thick and thin. And I've had some friends that have left me and I think they left me too early. And I think I've left some friends I knew years ago too early. I should have stuck with them. Jesus Christ is not a friend like that. He will stick through you, with you through thick and thin. Amen. And he's got some pretty sorry friends. The Romans did it out of ignorance. The Jews did it out of hate. Talking about crucifying him. The Romans did it out of ignorance. The Jews did it out of hate. Jesus did it out of love. God, who was responsible, he did it out of a righteousness and a justice that must be done. But you, you killed Jesus Christ Amen. out of your lack of self-control. Your lack of the ability to tell yourself no. Just last week, how many sins did we commit last week that put Jesus Christ on that cross? How many sins are we going to commit this week that's going to help put those stripes on our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? Because of our lack of the ability to just simply tell our flesh, no, I don't want you to act that way. I want to let Jesus Christ manifest out of me. I want the Holy Spirit to act out of me. I want, to, I want the fruit of the Holy Spirit. I don't want the fruit of this flesh anymore. How many? You were hopeless and lost before Jesus Christ was killed. Amen. If Jesus Christ wasn't crucified, me and you would have no hope. Amen. See, so many religions and people of the world, they, they have Jesus Christ basically, they, they focus on the life of Jesus Christ. And that's a, an amazing life to focus on. But that's not what Jesus Christ came to do. That's just who Jesus Christ is. Amen. He is a healer. He is a guy who can walk on water. He is a guy that has amazing wisdom of words. He is a guy that can do all these amazing things. But that's not what he came for. No. He came to die on the cross and to give his life. So God can do what he wants to do with me and you, which is bring us into the family of God. And the world, they see Christ, and, and practically, when they look at Christ, religiously, they think Christ said, okay, act this way and act that way and do this and do that. And if you do this and you do that, you'll go to heaven. Well, see, if that's what Christ was doing, then what would have Christ done at the end of his ministry? He would have turned to all his disciples and said, okay, boys, I showed you how to do it. Good luck. And he would have ascended up into heaven. Amen. But that's not what he did. He turned to look at his sorry, evil, no good disciples and said, this is why I came right here. Amen. You have no faith. You doubt me. Doubting Thomas. All the things his disciples showed him to the very end, they proved to Jesus Christ, I do need to die for you guys. If Jesus Christ was to hang around me for more than a day, he'd find out too, he'd need to die for me too. And every one of you too. We need that crucifixion. Amen. Billy Graham's wife, when Billy Graham's wife was 13, she started doubting. She knew she was saved, but then she started doubting because she started saying, well, I pray, and sometimes I just, I don't know if God's hearing my prayers. And, and, and she's having a lot of doubts, and she went to her sister. And she went to her sister, and she told her sister, and her sister says, well, Ruth, 
Ruth, Ruth Graham, she said, Ruth, I don't know what to tell you. She goes, just open up your Bible, take a verse, and put yourself in that verse. So Ruth, her favorite chapter of the Bible is Isaiah 53, what we're reading right here. So look at verse 4. This is what Ruth did. Ruth Graham, Billy Graham's wife, when she was 13, this is what she did. She came in here, and this is what changed her heart and changed her life. She came in here, and she, she put herself into this whole verse. Surely he hath borne Ruth's griefs and carried Ruth's sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for Ruth's transgressions. He was bruised for Ruth's iniquities. The chastisement of Ruth's peace was upon him, and with his stripes Ruth is healed. You can put your name in there. Because that's what God wants you to do. God, the Lord, Jesus Christ, wants you to put your name in there. Amen. Say, I died for you. You put me on this cross. But see, Christ doesn't look at you in anger. The world don't understand that. See, the world thinks that Jesus Christ, if he could have, he would have come down and he started whipping everybody and brought his arm. No. Jesus Christ looked down, looked down from the cross and said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. So you think you're going to come to a cross and Jesus Christ is going to be hanging on this cross and you think you'll come to a cross and you're going to have a, a, a Savior that's going to look down at you with, with a condemning eye, with a scornful look, with a mad look on you because he's going to say, look what I'm doing, I'm having to do because of what you did. And when you come to Jesus Christ on the cross, he's going to look at you and he's going to say, look what I'm doing for you because I love you so much. And I'm your friend. And I want to be the carrier of all your burdens. I want to be the carrier of all your sins. I want to take all your transgressions. I want them to be put on me. Because I love you. And greater love hath no man than he lay, give his life for his friends. The saddest part of this, and what we know now from what I've shown you out of Scripture, of all the five people responsible, Including us at the end. We're responsible. You're responsible. And when I say you, I'm talking about everybody in this room is responsible for the Christ being on the cross. Including me. I'm pointing the finger back at me too. Is that if we were there when Pilate was physically about to crucify Jesus Christ. We think how awful it was. The Jews crying out, crucify him. Crucify. We think about how awful that would have been. But if we could transport ourselves back. Knowing what we know, knowing that we need that crucifixion, God needs Jesus Christ to go and die for my sins. Knowing that, seeing Pilate up there and seeing our Savior Jesus Christ with that crown of thorns, with that robe, and them mocking him, and him with Jesus Christ with his head down, bleeding, and face all puffy from being punched. When we look up at our Savior, the innocent man, knowing what we know, we would have to bow our head. As everybody cried crucify him, we would have to bow our head in shame and say crucify him. Amen. Without that crucifixion, I have no hope. Amen. That's my friend. If my friend don't lay down his life, I have no life. That's great love. And you can only find it at the cross in Jesus Christ.
Thank you, Lord, for loving us. Lord, thank you for sending your son to die for us, Lord. And I just thank you for Jesus Christ that's willing to give his life, Lord. Lord, I'm, I'm sorry, Lord God. I can't think of a man, a woman in this world, Lord God, I'd give my son for, Lord. And you're willing to give your only begotten son to come down and die for me, Lord. And I thank you for that. And Lord, I pray, Father, there's somebody beneath the sound of my voice that doesn't know Jesus Christ. They don't know this love that we've been talking about this morning, Lord God. Father, I just pray, Lord, that through your Holy Spirit, you'll speak to their heart the truth, Lord God. The truth of, Lord, they can just put their faith in that crucifixion. Put that, their faith in that precious blood that was shed for them on the cross, Lord God. Then you can take that faith that they put in him and say, yes, I do receive that free gift of salvation, Lord. They can take that faith and put it in Jesus Christ, Lord God, and you can do that judicial act that pleases you to do, Lord God, where you take Jesus Christ's righteousness and put it onto their filthiness and take their filthiness and put it onto Jesus Christ, Lord God. They can wake up and they can get off their knees, Lord God, a new creature in you, Lord God, and they can be born again and they can be part of the family of God and they can find out about that love that I've been preaching about all morning long, Lord, and they can step up and they can walk the rest of their life, Lord God, knowing they got a home in heaven. Lord, I want to thank you, Father, for saving me all those years back. But not only that, Father, I want to thank you for keeping me. And I want to thank you, Lord God, that you're not expecting me to work for salvation. That you've paid it all, and there's a judicial, judicial thing you've done, Lord God, that has to be done through Jesus Christ. There's nothing I can do to do it. Nothing I can do to, 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 to erase my sins, Lord God. It's all got to be through Jesus Christ. And Father, I pray if there's somebody underneath the sound of my voice that doesn't know for sure, Lord God, they've took that free gift. I pray, Lord, as we give the invitation, they'll come on down and get saved. And I'm praying all this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Hello, friends. This is Pastor Keegan Hall of Indian Gap Baptist Church of Indian Gap, Texas. If you'd like to contact us, you can do it at IndianGapBaptist.com. On the internet, it's IndianGapBaptist.com. But I have a question for you. If you died tonight, do you know if you would go to heaven? You know, if you're not sure, let me show you a few verses out of the Bible so you can know if you have eternal life. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. So that verse tells us there that you can know you have eternal life. And I want to show you how you can know that. Jesus Christ talked in John chapter 3 verse 16. And most people have heard this verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Now it's an amazing verse of course talking about how God gave Jesus Christ as a gift to the world. But verse 17 and 18, he went on to say something interesting. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. So the whole reason Jesus Christ came into this world was to save you and to save me and you. But in verse 18, he says something that's amazing. He says that he that believeth on him is not condemned. He's stressing a faith. It's putting your faith into Jesus Christ. But he says there in verse 18, but he that believeth not is condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. So he says you're condemned already if you haven't believed in Jesus Christ. 
It's not like you're going to go to heaven and you're going to stand before God and you're going to have God put your good deeds on the scale and your bad deeds on, on the other side of the scale and he's going to weigh it. And if you've been a good enough person down on this earth that he'll let you into heaven. It doesn't work that way. Jesus Christ is real explicit here to say that you're condemned already. You need a Savior right now. The same chapter down in verse 36, it says, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. It goes back to a believe, putting your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. But the verse continues, And he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. See, it's going on right now. You need a Savior right now. You need to be saved from a devil's hell. Paul sums it up real good here in Romans chapter 10, verse 9, That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, Thou shalt be saved. It's putting your faith in Jesus Christ from the heart. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness. And then with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. It's very important to confess Jesus Christ because the mouth shows where the heart's at. And in verse 13 he sums it up. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So friends, as simple as just bowing your head and saying a prayer, something like this. Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I know you died on the cross for my sins. I believe you can came up from the grave and are alive right now listening to me. I invite you into my heart to save me. Please save me, Lord Jesus. Amen. If you prayed something similar to that, we'd love to hear from you. You can contact us at IndianGapBaptist.com. And God bless you. And until next time. Casting all your care upon him